0: Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll talk about the NBA and what's happening in the playoffs. We'll look at the NFL and what's going on in the offseason and mini camps. We'll take a look at the MLB and what's happening there, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow the show, subscribe, like, and rate on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow at Sports on Twitter and Instagram. I repeat at Sports on Twitter and Instagram for breaking news show updates when the show is coming out but mainly for breaking news and to keep up with my thoughts a lot of the times during the game when I'm watching the game I'm tweeting and stuff like that so definitely do that and follow at Sports on Twitter and IG but I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. alrighty guys and welcome into the show we have an absolutely packed show this week I know I say that every week but when there's so much sports happening all at one time we are gifted with stories we are gifted with 48hour periods or should I say 60 hour periods like we got over the past couple of days in the NBA we get mini camp stories I think at a Fell. We got Major League Baseball in full swing We have so many sports happening We have Olympic qualifying now People getting ready for Tokyo It is absolutely amazing what we're living in right now In the world of sports Like I said a few, a few episodes ago A few weeks ago, probably a month ago um, the One of the positives of COVID One of the few positives that COVID did Was it jammed the schedules back together um, so it jammed the schedules completely in together. So there's so many sports overlapping at the same time, and what we would consider big-time sports. Like hockey's in the middle of their playoffs right now. Baseball's in the middle of their season. Basketball's in the middle of their playoffs. And it's the right around the time mini camp is starting. Usually basketball will be winding down right now. But it's it's huge what's going on in the world of sports. And so absolutely humongous. But let's jump right into the NBA playoffs and let's talk about what's going down there. And we're going to start with the game that happened last night with the Bucks and the Nets. Now, this series has been pretty insane, in all honesty. Um, it was part of that 60-hour series of madness of uh, Game 5. Kevin Durant has the greatest game of his career. One of the greatest playoff games I've ever seen. Um, probably if it's a finals game, it may go to one or, or definitely top three if it's if it's a finals game. Uh, I think about LeBron's game five, six, and seven. Um, I think about LeBron's 45 point game against Boston. Um, I think about Shaq and Kobe what they did. I think about Tim Duncan near quadruple double. Um, I think about Klay Thompson game six versus OKC. I think you know I think about a lot of different performances just popping my head quickly. Uh, about great playoff performances but 49-17-10 and 10 has never been done, a stat line of 45-15-10 and 10 has never been done in the playoffs uh, obviously we've seen those stats in a game but even that's very rare never done in a playoff game, that's what Kevin Durant did game 5, back when the world was letting him to fail again uh, Kevin Durant used can you say he's lived a pretty charmed basketball life the past 6 years of his life um, he was injured for one of them He went to three straight finals to Golden State, winning two. Probably went three in a row if they if everyone doesn't fall apart around him. I mean, he pops his Achilles, Clay pops his ACL, or you're looking at Golden State winning three in a row and Kevin leaving anyway. But they you know they win three in a row. OKC was a good team. He collapsed down the end of the stretch. So did Russell Westbrook. Um, And they lost games four, five, six, and seven to Golden State. But that was a pretty good basketball team. He was in the finals already with that OKC squad in 2012. So, if you look at it, he's lived a pretty, charmed life, never really had to go through a situation where his entire team's hurt around him, or he's the only star in the situation. He's lived his entire basketball life, besides his first couple of years, without an all-star point guard next to him. Yeah, Russell Westbrook early, but Russell didn't make an all-star team to his third or fourth year. And so, he's lived his whole life with an all-star caliber point guard. The last five, six years with the MVP level point guard, um, at least one. MVP level teammate, and so he's lived a pretty good life, and that was a situation where a lot of people was wondering what Kevin Durant are we going to see? Are we going to see a 9 for 30 game, and he's just frustrated out of the world, and the Bucks win by 25, and you can pretty much go series is over, or are we going to see Kevin Durant go for 40, maybe have, you know, 12 rebounds, 5, 6 assists, and Bucks still win, but it's by 2 or 3, and everybody goes well, hell, Kevin Durant did what he's going to do, Kevin Durant did what he could do. Update we were all wrong. He went he goes for 49 points 17 rebounds 10 assists Absolute dynamite shot making he made a double clutch three that he was going down the court You can see him saying like "Ooh, I got it today It was just it felt like that video of Rucker Park remember the NBA lockout in like 2011 2010 And the guys were running around going to play different summer leagues. Kobe Bryant went to the Drew uh, A couple of times before it became the Drew League it is today um James Harden went to a couple of Adidas runs, uh, LeBron was seen on a Nike run a couple of times, Kevin Rant made his big show at Rucker Park, you know, Jamal Crawford started the crossover around this time, so a lot of different program runs were running. Katie went to Rucker Park and set the still current Rucker Park record of 66 points in a game. It, his shot making that game pull up threes over everybody, dunking, it was insane. Um, And the NBA owners couldn't stop the players because you locked them out of the contract so technically they can go anywhere they want Uh, So it was ridiculous and that's what it felt like that game. That was the first time we that was a decade ago Uh, And that was the first time we'd seen that guy that Kevin Durant that shot-making ability Uh, In terms of the volume probably since that Rucker Park game even people going on Twitter saying oh, this is Rucker Park Kevin like it's just it can't miss doesn't matter what he takes doesn't matter who's guarding him he's gonna make the shot and it was absolutely insane it it brings you back to remembering he's seven feet tall you know it's like he shouldn't move like this he shouldn't shoot like this dirk had a shot dirk couldn't sniff kevin durant shot nowhere get anyone on the planet of his handle you know, if you look at... I mean, there's not even really a 7-foot guy to compare to him. They call Chris Thatch Porzingis the unicorn. Kevin Durant does everything on a basketball court better than Chris Thatch Porzingis. Considerably better than Chris Thatch Porzingis. Kevin Durant's a true unicorn. A tall guy that can shoot. We're starting to get those more and more. A tall guy that can dribble like a guard. Run your offense. Oh, and I'm going to go defend the rim. And I'm going to go score 49 points on 23 shots and I'm going to knock down threes, and like, it's insane, like, it's ridiculous, it, what Kevin Durant did in game five, absolutely insane, James Harden played on one leg, and I think the craziest thing about the game five for Kevin Durant, before I moved to game six, was that he never left the floor, I mean, absolutely never left the floor, um, 48 minutes, he, James Harden logged 44 on one leg, it was absolutely insane what both of them did together. Kudos to the both of them. Um, I am very impressed by Kevin Durant. I mean, it was marvelous. It was it was it was insane. I mean, I, I didn't it was hard to quantify or to put into words what you were watching. Um, it was it was ridiculous. And so, of course, this sets up a very important game six. Um, a lot of people are thinking, well, Harden can't be that bad again. He only scored three points on one for 11 or something like that shooting. Um, Jeff Green went for 27. Um, people are saying it couldn't be that bad. And I was telling a lot of my friends, I'm like, okay, you're not going to get 49, 17, and 10 from KD, but you're not going to get three from Harden. But you're also probably not going to get 27 on seven of nine threes from Jeff Green. I'm just mean I'm no expert on Jeff Green, but you know, that just feels a little bit lofty, especially on the road, to do that again. So I was at reasonably, you'll get 40 from Kevin, about 10 rebounds, 5 success. You'll get 20 from Harden, you'll get about 17 from Jeff Green. And I'm like, and that's on the high side for Harden, on the high side for Green, and on the high side for Kevin. I'm just so I'm like, it's hard for you to make up the points you're gonna lose from Kevin's. That's five less assists, so that's at least 10 points. That's 10 less points, that's at least 20 points, and you're losing 10 points Jeff Green. So I'm like, if Harden's gonna make, if Harden's gonna score 33, just as efficiently, you've got a shot. I'm like, if it's not gonna be the case, you're gonna lose this game. And to my recollection, I don't think any of those, I don't think any of them hit their numbers. I mean, Kevin Durant never got to 40, James Harden never got to 30, I don't believe Jeff Green got to 17, and the Bucks dominated game six. There was a couple of moments. We got a little antsy. Got a little tight. Uh, Bucks cut it down to... I mean, Nets cut it down to four. Chris Middleton gets fouled and a three. Makes all these free throws. Uh, Nets cut it down to ten. After coming back from like 15, 16, you know, starting to get into it, Chris Middleton hit a four-point play. Nets cut it down to eight. Giannis makes a big breakaway dunk. So it was a situation where the Nets would throw a big overhand right. But, the, you know, they would... They would graze the bucks, and he could hit with a quick jab and stun him. And it was just to knock off that pace, you know, just to keep him off that pace. Chris Middleton, insane, uh, 38 points. I didn't even notice he was scoring that many points. It was one of those, uh, it wasn't a quiet 38, because sometimes he came on and won threes, fouled on the three. James Harden was fouling them left and right, it felt like, on threes. Um, it was one of those you notice he's scoring but I, until I saw the box score this morning I was like 38 I 38 points didn't trigger in my brain that's what he did Giannis put up 30 and 17 did not take I think he might have took one or two jumpers the whole game they gave him space he took it as a runaway. he just put his head down okay I'm coming forward now now I'm going to go get to the basket and so kudos to him for doing that, um, not selling for those what we're being called now, pride jumpers. Where it's, oh, you going to dare me to shoot this? Screw it, I'm, I'm going to shoot it. Even if you make it, you're going to shoot it again. I mean, there's no real upside to him taking the shot. And so, like I said, kudos to Giannis for not taking quote-unquote pride jumpers. And, um, and going to the rim and attacking. But now we're going to shift to the Atlanta Hawks and the 76ers. In a series that honestly is going kind of how I predicted, but for different reasons. So you know my original prediction for Bucks and Nets was Bucks and Six. Had Kevin Durant not exploded in game five, I would have been right. But Hawks and seventy six, as I said, depend on Embiid's health. If Embiid is healthy, sixes and six. If Embiid is hurt, Hawks in seven. Um or rather yeah, some, some, I can't remember that sounds like what it was. It might not be it exactly. But Embiid's knee was the trigger, was the was the quintessential linchpin on the issue. If Embiid was healthy, Sixers win. If he wasn't healthy, Hawks win. That was basically what it was. When it was game five, um, game four rather, Embiid caught a lob from Ben Simmons and he grimaced. And that was the first time we had seen him really acknowledge with his face and his body, because he limped for a couple of times on the court he was hurting Um again, I'm saying it uh, that he has he needs a scope or a trim, some sort of knee operation to clean up that meniscus because it's, 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 in, it's in pain it's slightly torn, it's not going to get any better till he either gets completely off of it uh, and it takes a long route or it takes the snip or the trim or the scope to make sure it comes back all together correctly but he is in pain and still dominating right now. You look at Ben Simmons, um, he is losing fans and support by the game, or shall I say, by the missed free throw. Um, with game five, huge pivotal game. Embiid looked from the start like he would never was hurt a day in his life, and he wears off. And I'm starting to think it's the knee. I'm starting to think he gets to a point where he doesn't get just enough lift on that jumper and hits the front of the rim. Or he, you know, doesn't get just enough lift on the free throw and it hits the front of the rim. Because he's A, tired, and B, he can't, that knee, the more you're fatigued you are, an injury radiates pain. So now he's probably thinking, okay, lift off the knee. Well, he's trying to fade back on an injured knee, and it's just hitting the front of the rim. And so, you've got Ben Simmons, who can't make a free throw, for 14 in game five. You have Joel Embiid, who's hurting. Tobias Harris went disappeared, and you blew a 26 point lead to Trey Young and the rest of that crew in game five. Um, now you go back to Atlanta for game six for Philadelphia. You're down 3 2. You've got an injured and beat hobbling. You've got a Ben Simmons with no confidence. You have. Reporters already asking Doc Rivers, okay, well what you know, you see the you see the sports center pictures uh and the memes and stuff like that of man, Doc Rivers in the last two postseasons has blown five of the biggest eight leads in games. Five of them have been Doc Rivers. Including having the biggest with twenty-six points. Um and then you look at the Clippers who we're talking about a little later, we'll talk about right after this adjusting with tyloo paul joy showed up so maybe i mean i was a defender a big defender of doc rivers last year and i'm still going to defend doc rivers in the sense of don't blame his missed shots on doc if you if the strategy falls apart and the team starts doing the same thing over and over again and killing your defense or they trap the same spot and kill your offense or whatever that's not making adjustments that is a coaching problem if you are running wide open at three point line and you're clanking three of the side of the backboard, that's a you problem. But I digress. What I'm saying about the situation with Doc is, I am going. If he, if they lose this series, he has the NBA injury excuse. He does, but it's a sense of you've blown two decent sized leads in this series. Thirty two points, I mean twenty six points in game five, and they were up double digits in the second half in game four, and lost them both, uh, the series would be over. It'd be 4-1, series over, had they finished those games off. Especially last game, 3-2, going right to Atlanta, you can afford to lose it, go right to Philly and win in game seven. Um At the same time, he's got a Ben Simmons problem. Ben Simmons is four for 14 from three, four from four for 14 from a free throw line, and you lose by single digits. Effectively. I mean, there's your game. <laughs> you know, like nobody in the second half made a field goal unless it was Joel Embiid of Seth Curry, who really has been Joel Embiid's second option in this series, especially of late, with Tobias Harris kind of fading away a little bit. So absolutely huge uh game six. Um excited for that game. Uh it's gonna be a legacy game for Doc Rivers. If he loses this, he would have a he would have blown a three-one lead and a two-one lead in consecutive postseasons. Uh, featuring some massive fourth quarter collapse Because the Clippers had double digit leads In the fourth quarters of game 5, 6, and 7 Lost them both um, And in this series he's blown a double digit second half lead A 26 point second half lead And a 2-1 lead it, it wouldn't be great for Doc Rivers' offseason And Philly like would have to do some major soul searching roster wise To take an examination of Are we going to keep Ben Simmons What to do with Tobias Harris What's up with Joel and Beach injury problems do we try and bring another player? Um, do we regret the James Harden trade? Because Ben Simmons was in the trade to Houston. Um, he was in the trade to Houston. It was a couple of defensive players, Maxine uh, and... I uh, can't think of the other one's name right now. But the two... Oh, Thibault. The two other defensive players, Ben Simmons, a couple of picks, Harden's in, Harden's in Philly with Joel Embiid. Do you regret that trade now? So... It's definitely something to look at in the offseason if you're a Philly and now shifting right into Clippers and Jazz um, I just want to be the first I'm well, not the first but I want to be the one of the ones who ridiculed Paul George who said he couldn't step up who said he wasn't a superstar who said that man you know Kawhi might look to escape because PG's already committed to the Clippers and you're kind of stuck what do you do you know, if you're Kawhi, if you have an option to go play with a Dame in Portland, if you go with Dame? You know, you, you you have an option to go be a mercenary and go go to New York, but go to the Knicks. You know, you have an option to go to Miami, pair with Jimmy Butler, Bam bio. that Heat culture. You know what Kawhi is about. You know what Kawhi just wants to go score and get a stop. He can go be. The number one scoring option in Miami has Jimmy butler be the number one defending option. You stick still got at the bio, it's a great team out east. The, the, he will be back title, title contenders immediately with that situation, especially with air exposure at coach. You know, and there was you know, it was plenty of options. Do you go to Dallas? You know, the respect he has for Luka. Um, you know, there's plenty of options. Houston has money. Do you go call up somebody and say, you know, we're gonna meet in Houston? There's plenty of different options to go there. Um and a lot of it hinges on the fact that I didn't and many didn't didn't believe in Paul George and then you know Paul just had to go in solo for incident we'll talk about a little later he had to go in solo for game 5 in Utah Paul George by himself no Kawhi Leonard it was it smelled like a 30 point win by Utah one of those like punches in the face where it's like yeah we're better than you go away um but a small part of me, a small part of me, kept saying it's either going to be a Utah blowout or Clippers going to win this thing close. The reason why is Donovan Mitchell's injury is getting worse. He's showing more and more visible pain. It's more and more on his face, You're telling his movements. He's shooting jumpers. I tweeted it. Uh, he made a jumper, a three, long three, and he was bouncing on one leg in excitement. He, he wouldn't put the right leg down. Um, his, his, his foot, lower leg injury is getting worse like I said, By the game, by the dribble It feels like and it, it hurts to watch, he's such a dynamic Player, but he's the way, way 2.0 They fall a lot They deal with a lot of contact, a lot Now Mitchell has the ability to, I'm hurt I can still shoot, so I'm going to keep Doing that, D-Wade didn't have that uh, Ability to shoot from range In that capacity, he was a uh, definitely A downhill, at the rim Kind of player, but it allows donovan mitchell to make it through an injury like he's playing right now except it's getting like i said it's getting worse and worse and now the recovery time is getting shorter and shorter Uh, you're playing games every other night now the rest of the series and so it is forcing uh donovan mitchell to play with less recovery time and you know he's hurting but the game was pretty good paul george came out hitting Uh, Utah made 17 threes in the first half. It was a five-point game at halftime, which is very concerning. You make 17 threes in the first half, you expect to be about 15, 20 points. (laughs) You expect it to be 64-44. Game is, I mean, the other team is looking around like, we don't belong here, etc. None of that happened. The Clippers only down five. Um, Shout out Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris uh, for having big games. Paul George with 30-plus points. Leading the team, absolutely spectacular performance. Donovan Mitchell didn't crack twenty, and you go back to L.A. now. You go back to Staples, forty-eight minutes away from the your franchise's first conference finals, um, and that is wildly impressive about Paul George. Kudos to him, um, but you has got to finish it off. So you got two more games. You got one more game to win. You don't want to see Utah in a Game Seven. So probably your best bet is to win, is to do it at home from a shell-shocked Jazz team that's wondering what the hell happened to us, how did we lose that game, um, to do it in Staples, and to secure your first conference finals, like I said, in in team history. So big opportunity for them coming up in their game six. And quickly touch on the series that's already over. The Suns swept the Denver Nuggets. Um, That was... A tour de force by Chris Paul. I know. We, I think we talked about it last week when they were 3 uh, 0. Absolute tour de force from Chris Paul, showing why he should have been at least greatly considered for the MVP. I believe he finished fourth or fifth in balloting. Um, amazing. Scooting up 37 points in a closeout game by Chris Paul, abusing them in the mid range. A shot that the NBA basically told you was a bad shot. And Analytics really tells you that at mid range jumper that Chris Paul hit. Over and over and over and over and over again to get rid of the Denver Nuggets It's considered a bad shot by analytics It is the same percentage on average as a three point shot With one less point So if you do points, points per weighted shot Or any of those other advanced analytics The mid-range shot is the worst shot Because you'll make it as much as a three and don't get the benefit of a three um, But Chris Paul said four or five years ago The NBA went into what he called drop defense so when you come around a screen, the center just slides back into the paint to stop you from getting a dunk. Well, what that leaves is, if if the defender's going over the screen to stop a three, and the center is dropping back, that leaves a space in the middle. He, he's stopping you from getting the three off, the your own ball defender, and the screen help is just to stop you from dunking. Where there's a space between the three-point line and the rim that's wide open so chris paul said he perfected the mid-range that little mid-range he always fade he wants to draw his right hand go to the right fade to the right and shoot it and so he said he perfected that about four or five years ago and he realized that's what everyone's gonna do is get that um drop zone drop uh coverage and so he perfected that mid-range jumper and he ended denver's season uh with that mid-range jumper so absolutely spectacular performance from Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, Jay Crowder, campaign, uh, then the rest of that crew. Huge shout out to uh, Mikael Bridges, uh, Monty Williams is coaching his tail off, and big shout out. He doesn't get talked about in this little, in this group due um, to other big names on the team, but big shout out to General Manager James Jones, aka Champ. Um, he was on those Heat teams in Miami that won. He he was with LeBron. Uh, from Cleveland to Miami, uh, LeBron calls him champ. Absolutely, basketball absolute basketball savant. I mean, look at how he constructed his team in a matter of a few years. He, he. I don't think he drafted Devin Booker, but he kept Devin Booker. He drafted DeAndre Ayton. He signed Chris Paul. He traded for Jay. He traded for Chris Paul. Signed Jay Crowder. Drafted Mikael Bridges. James higher Monty Williams as coach. James Jones has done a hell of a job uh, running the Phoenix Suns. So kudos to him as well as he deserves a lot of credit for what Phoenix is doing now Sweeping the um, Denver Nuggets and being the only team currently in the conference finals uh, Getting a lot of rest for ailing bodies, sore bodies, stuff like that But we're going to jump into an absolute wild now 60 hours in the NBA It was insane it was absolutely insane. So we start off with Kevin Durant's historic performance, 49-17-10. and 10. Um, No one's ever put that stat line up in the NBA. We spoke, we spoke about that earlier in the, in the playoffs. Uh, nobody's done 45-15-10. and 10. Like I said, he went 49-17-10. and 10. Uh, With the whole world waiting for him to fail, he carried a one-legged James Harden, beat the Bucks. absolutely insane, uh, buried a pretty good Giannis game into the ether um, that involved Giannis fumbling the ball out of bounds, Some may say, some are saying to avoid the free throw line. Um, but absolutely historic performance. Right? So that happens. And then we wake up the next morning to Chris Paul is out with COVID protocols. Excuse me? (laughs) So they're the only team not in the playoffs. So, uh, after they swept Denver, he was seen in the stands hugging mom, hugging friends. Some people are speculating that's when it occurred. Um, some are saying he tested positive for COVID. They're not confirming whether it was a positive test or whether it was a um, close contact. However, uh, it was reported by myself and Sham Sharanya um, that one person out of the playoff eligible people that are getting tested every day did test positive. And Chris Paul is the only person going into the COVID protocols. So it puts two or two together. That Chris Paul did indeed test positive for COVID um, following Western Conference Finals. Now, because he tested positive for COVID, he is out 10 to 14 days. That's what the standard protocol they've had. And so, if he's indeed out 10 to 14 days, he's going to miss at least two to three games of the Western Conference Finals. Because if I say um, the Jazz push to a Game Seven, and they play on Tuesday. Well, that would be seven days. And you got to get them a the minimum of three days off, or two days off. So then I, I'm looking at Chris Paul, at least me missing the first two games in Phoenix. Chris Paul could show back up to a Phoenix team down 0-2 going, going coming back home to Phoenix, which would be the worst thing on the planet if they play the Jazz. You know, that could be down 0-2 coming back to Phoenix. Chris Paul shows back up and they try to win four out of five, basically. Um, so that would be huge. And then you get Kawhi Leonard is going to miss game five. Excuse me. He's going to miss game five with a knee injury. Okay. And then you get about five minutes later, I'm reporting that it's, yeah, the shot of the athletic is also reporting. Wait, there's ACL damage. You know, know, the Clippers are fearing ACL damage, but they won't confirm it until they get an MRI uh, taken. Once the swelling goes down. So you're like, oh, okay, like, now Kawhi may have messed his ACL up, I mean, that could affect next season, forget this season, he's probably done these playoffs, if it's torn, it could he could be out eight to 12 months, or six to 12 months, which would bleed into next season, Um, because we're already in June, let's say he did tear his ACL, it's six to 12 months from surgery, so this us go surgery in a week, let's call it July 1, he has surgery, which is, seven was the seventh month you're talking at earliest january he could return you might try to get him 10 games to one for the playoff for a playoff run if you get there so 20 acl ruins the next season as well for the clippers um absolutely heartbreaking for Kawhi Leonard there playing his best playoff basketball ever um so heartbreaking from him and then you get oh stan van gundy's been fired in new orleans or mutually agreed to part ways with the new orleans pelicans i'm a pelicans fan uh I, mixed feelings on that i was not the biggest svg fan um i was not the biggest dan van gundy fan i put that on front street right now i was not the biggest dan van gundy fan at all um but i did like him i liked what he was going to be or what his purpose was i always said look at superstars, they usually have three coaches in their career that really matters, they have their first coach that they have then they have their teacher coach, which is there to teach them basketball, how to be a pro, usually how to play defense or how to play offense, whatever they're tied, the ball is a little weaker, uh, how to be a pro, that's the coach you're saying man, they're close uh, Mike Brown and Cleveland to LeBron um uh, uh Maddie Johnson actually won the finals with his first coach Didn't like him, got him out of there uh, Michael Jordan had uh, a couple of good coaches he, would, he had the coach right before, Phil Jackson I can't think of his name uh, I'm looking at his face, but he had him um, he won the scoring title and stuff like that So, But then he didn't win until he got Phil Doug Collins, he had Doug Collins in Chicago um, They didn't win until he got Phil Stuff like that, you know, a lot of great players Get their first coach It could be same simulation with Coach Bud with Giannis, you know, because Bud's a great coach, but he's not the championship coach that Giannis needs and stuff like that. But to get back on Stan Van Gundy, I thought that he would, could have been that for Zion. You know, you play those, you play that first year of the Gentry lost due to COVID, Zion injury, doesn't count. Last year, you play on the Stan Van, you play next year in the Van, you learn defensive principles, you learn stuff like that. Stan Van ultimately then gets to let go. Then you bring in your championship level coach. You try and bring in a Kid, a Rick Carlisle, who we'll talk about in a second. You try and bring in a high, high level coach. Well, they apparently they mutually agreed to part ways. Uh, according to David Griffin, they talked several times um, since the season ended, having deep conversation and disagreed that it wasn't working. Um there was reports already about how Stan Van's relationship with the players specifically Brandon Ingram um and a couple of the younger guys weren't great Uh the organization apparently he had lost favor because he was wanting to play Eric Bledsoe who already wasn't playing well and David Griffin wanted to see Nikkei Alexander Walker on the court more Kyra Lewis on the court more etc but he wanted to play Eric Bledsoe um so then that puts you in a bad spot with the players because they're looking like, man, Alexander Walker is playing better than Bledsoe, but you're starting Bledsoe because you like Bledsoe basically, uh, which is always in an awkward position that team didn't play defense, Stan Van Gundy was a defensive coach, I put a lot of them on the players Zion and Brandon Ingram don't play defense uh, the more Alonzo Ball shot went in, the less defense he played Eric Bledsoe is a smaller two-guard he's trying, but that's just not his game none of the kids play defense in general um, so I I didn't put that on Stan Van Gundy entirely, even though as a defensive coach that's supposed to be your job. But ultimately, he and the New Orleans Pelicans agreed to part ways. And then right after that, you get Scott Brooks is out in Washington. They couldn't work on a con. They couldn't come to an agreement on a contract extension, and his contract was already up. Um, so Washington's looking for a new head man. Um, Scott Brooks is out. Then you get the bombshell of Dallas firing the GM. And you're like, what the hell? Like he uh Donnie Nelson been there with the organization 23 years. He was fired in Dallas. And then you get even more, you get Rick Carlisle is stepping down. He wasn't fired, he wasn't mutually agreed. He told Mark Cuban, I'm out, I'm not coming back. And he wants to continue coaching. So it's not like it's a retirement situation. He wants to continue coaching. Um, and so that makes six NBA openings. Um, you have the Orlando Magic, the Indiana Pacers, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Dallas Mavericks, the Portland Trailblazers, and the Washington Wizards. In terms of openings, as a Pelican fan, um, I want Rick Carlisle. You saw he did in Dallas, he's a stabilizing coach, he's a hell of a teacher. I would want Rick Carlisle if I was, as a New Orleans Pelicans fan. If I was a coach and I was looking at situations for me to go to, again, Orlando is the worst one. Um, I said that last week. We talked about Orlando is the worst one. Uh, Washington's probably second due to their contract situation. You're kind of in a bind with Russ and Beal. Indiana is probably third just because of the talent gap. Uh, Portland is fourth because you don't know what Dame's gonna do, and you're kind of strapped money-wise. Dallas is the second best option. Um, or fifth worst, less, fifth worst option or second best option due to, you have Luka, Youngstar, Porzingis is tradable, you're on a good market, you've got a hell of an owner, and then New Orleans would be one. Um, You have a culture dying to win. You have a GM who will want to win, David Griffin, and owner, Miss Benson, who's told the not the GM, the, vice, the president of basketball operations, David Griffin, that he doesn't have carte blanche to spend money, but she'll spend money to win. You've got Zion Williamson on the rookie contract, Brandon Ingram, you've got a way to move money and to move players to create more money. Um, New Orleans is a hell of a spot. Probably Dallas and New Orleans are giant type vying for first on the coach preferred list if I was a young coach. If I was a coach in general, I'd want either New Orleans or Dallas. Uh, due to ownership, due to um, stars already young stars Zion and Luka um, so that's what I would do that's what I will take a look at one of those openings and then Portland would be after that due to Dame um, so those are my the coaching openings what I would do if I was a coach but that is all we have for an absolute packed and long winded, sorry about that NBA segment, but I wanted to catch all you guys up, especially in that crazy 48 hours. Uh, my Twitter fingers never stopped. <laughs> uh, I was breaking news whenever I found out about it. So, uh, yeah, at J Sports, Justin Time Sports on Twitter and IG was blowing up, especially on Twitter. Um, so definitely check that out. And we're gonna move into the NBA right after this quick break. Whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait! We're not going anywhere. Um breaking news uh, from Wolves absolute woes bomb. Kimball Walker has been traded. Um, he's been traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, the full trade package is Kimball Walker of uh, the 16th overall pick in this draft and a 2025 uh, pick for Al Horford going back to Boston. Um Moses Brown and a future, I believe, 2023 second round pick. Um absolutely huge news. Oklahoma City has set Al Horford down. They weren't gonna play him anymore and we were already looking to move him. So I'm assuming this talk they've been they've been talking to teams about Al Horford for a few months now. Uh they set him down pretty much at the all-star, like go home, enjoy yourself, kick your feet up, we don't care. Um, train, do what you gotta do, have fun with your kids. I don't know, we don't care. Uh, but you're not playing for OKC anymore And we're going to continue to pay you, kudos But they were going to try to fi- uh, Try to find a trade partner for him uh, If the trade partner didn't work out Which it didn't, uh, that massive contract They were going to try to trade him In offseason, uh, but he wasn't going to be a thunder Anymore ever And they found a trade partner and a team Equally probably is unhappy with their free agent Signing Kimball Walker um, He was there to ultimately replace Terry Rozier, ultimately to replace Kyrie Irving Neither of those things really. I mean, he played better than Terry Rozier, but he didn't live with Kyrie Irving, obviously, or what Kyrie Irving could have been for Boston, obviously. Um, And so he gets moved to Oklahoma City. Uh, It's been reported, and I'm finding out as well, that um, pretty much from what I can tell, there's no intent of of Kimba Walker ever putting on an OKC jersey. Um, That this could be more of a we had to get Horford out, we'll take Kimba, and then we're going to try to flip. We'll take Kimba in the first round pick, really and then we'll try to flip um we'll try to flip kimba for another pick several teams are in need of point guards what if lonzo ball leaves new orleans now new orleans can may offer a first round pick for kimba uh to get kimba in new orleans what if new york has been complaining about a starting point guard pretty much all season what if um new york decides to trade a first round pick for kimba walker um you've got several other teams the clippers the lakers both are in need of point guards next season what if one of those teams say we will do the first round pick for kimball walker what does it matter both of them have traded a lot of their assets away anyway okc would get on off them under kimba's contract as well and then those teams will acquire point guards uh, i think to get to a true contender he'll have to get bought out which oklahoma city's owner may buy him out um and allow him to walk and go free along and just to have the cap space. Uh, like I said, buy him out in that situation. Or he could end up being the vet, um, the vet of the team. You know, you had guys like Steven Jackson talk about all the time. When they came in, they always asked old players, who was your OG? Who was your vet? Um, who were some of the vets on the team? Because those guys is what taught you how to be a pro. It's what taught you how to deal with a five-game losing streak, how to deal with a five-game winning streak, what to do with your money, how to invest your money. Uh, what investments are good investments? What investments are crapshoots on and off the court stuff your OG's your vets are what? Helps you in the NBA what keep, what helps you survive in the NBA now with teams like? Um, Oklahoma City pretty much has no OGs on it. No vets on it now. I hope it's gone and so wh- Who's gonna teach those kids say Gills, goes Alexander and the rest of that crew how to win Chris Paul was there You traded him um you could get based, you basically traded out Horford. Now you bring in Kimba Walker, you're probably gonna trade him or really or buy him out. So there's no OGs on the team in Oklahoma City. But that's neither here nor there. Brad Stevens makes his first big moves as president of basketball operations. Uh, um, he brings back Al Horford, which probably shows a sign that he never wanted out Horford to leave. Uh but he brings Al Horford back. He gets rid of Kimba Walker, who gave him problems as a coach. He gets rid of Kimba, like he brings Al Horford back. He gives him a first-round pick, which is something Danny Ainge was very reluctant to ever do. Um, Probably something that Brad Stevens said, I have these picks. I didn't acquire these picks. Screw these picks. I'm going to use them to do what I got to do. So, absolute huge move out of the NBA that we cannot just flow into the NFL without talking about absolutely spectacular. Of course we're all over it on IG. Of course we're all over it on Justin Time Sports Podcast. Of course we're all over it on Twitter. And so definitely give those two a follow because that's what we do, baby. We find out information. We either break it ourselves or we um, I either break it myself or I quickly tweet it out um, right after it breaks itself. Put it out on IG and stuff like that. But now again, right after this quick break that we had planned I had to push it back a little bit, but we're going right after this quick little break, we're going to talk about the NFL rather and what's going down there. All righty, and welcome back in the wild 3-day stretch of the NBA continues. Trades all over the place, coaches being fired, injuries, COVID, huge performances, legacy changing kind of games. Uh it's been it's been insane in uh over the NBA. But now we're going to jump into the NFL and just touch base on some news what's going down with uh the NFL, what's happening in mini camps stuff like that. Uh, of course, we're going into year two for that good quarterback class last year. We got Joe Burrow coming off the ACL. Uh, a Knee reconstruction. Uh, he's already got his offensive lineman telling him they're apologizing. They'll never happen to him again. Uh, you've got Tua Tagovailoa trying to bounce back in Miami. You've got Justin Herbert trying to take a step into superstardom with the Chargers. Um, like I said, you've got several good year two quarterbacks trying to come into their own on their respective teams. And the the quarterback I want to talk about right now is Tua. Tua pre-draft, he got the Alabama hype train. Just go look at the quarterbacks, the past I don't know, 10, 12 years. Bah, AJ McCarron back. AJ McCarron on. How they will compare. AJ McCarron is so accurate. He could be the next Drew Brees. You know, Blake Sims can really run. He's a pretty accurate quarterback. Uh, not really Drew Brees accurate, but somewhere in that vein, he can run. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, Jalen Hurts, whoo, he's a, he's not a natural throw of the ball, but man, he could really throw it. He could be the next, you know, uh, Russell Wilson. Mm Mm-hmm. Attack about low is so accurate. His ball placement is spectacular. He doesn't lose a game. He's always clutch. Man, yeah, he's got a injury history, but so did Breeze. He could be the next Drew Breeze. Update 0 for 4. 0 for 4. And if you want to play in Mac Jones the next Tom Brady, I'm going to break news and I'm a Patriots fan 0 for 5. A, there is no next Drew Brees. B, they're damn sure there's no next Tom Brady. Even if there was facsimiles. None of those guys are it. Yeah, there's a facsimile to the next Drew Brees. I'm sure he'll come around eventually. A short quarterback, deadly accurate, who throws the ball a lot and deep early in his career. Sure he'll come around. Sure there's some six-foot quarterback around there somewhere. I'm sure there's the next Patrick Mahomes. They saw a kid from Texas. Um, Can't think of what city. I want to say Westlake, at the sound right. Who throws the ball a lot like Patrick Mahomes. The same sidearm whip style that Pat throws when he's not trying to gun it down the field or when he does gun it down the field. He throws the exact same way. And you can tell that's not something he saw Pat do. He, he's too good of a quarterback to have seen Pat do it and train himself to do it. That's how he throws the ball. Pat comes from baseball. He's probably a baseball player too. That's, I mean, he throws just like Patrick Mahomes. Same motion. It's it's actually kind of scary. He throws just like him. I'm sure they. I'm sure there'll be a next Tom Brady, six foot four, pocket style quarterback, gunning the ball down the field, accurate, deadly, clutch, ultimate winner. I'm sure there'll be another him. But none of the guys I just named at Alabama are him. There's nothing special about Tua. What was Drew Brees special? Leadership, remarkable durability, sands the shoulder. So from the shoulder injury in San Diego, which is a freak play, and then these last couple of years in New Orleans, one of which is the freak play, hit hitting his hand on like Aaron Donald's helmet. Um, he was remarkably durable. He was a leader, culture changer, a city changer. Um, look at all the business he invested in. He was he was a market changer. Ultimate accuracy. Landed with a great coach offensively in Sean Payton. Landed in a dome, so his weaker arm or his non-elite arm wasn't exposed as much because he was throwing inside on carpet. He was in an environment where he was comfortable throwing the checkdowns. He was comfortable gunning in deep when they had Devery Henderson. Um, he was comfortable, at his old age, being just a dead-eye passer, 15 yards or closer. He was comfortable doing that. You know, his IQ was through the roof. And he was a gamer, but no, no. Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback in the history of the NFL. That was his special. Drew Brees has never had one story come out of New Orleans Saints camp that he threw five interceptions in a practice. I don't care that Tua Tagovailoa turned around and threw six touchdowns the next day. That shows he bounce back. That's fine, I guess. You're supposed to throw touchdowns in these practices. There's no pads. the The corners are pulling up. So, if, if the ball is accurate enough, the, the safety will just run through it. He won't actually pick the ball. Or he'll just run past it. Unless you just throw it at his chest. Uh, they're not really doing contested catches because they're not challenging the receiver. So, if it's a pylon throw, he's not going to contest the receiver that's asking for injury. I mean, it's just... I don't care he threw six touchdowns. For you to throw five interceptions in a practice, you know what that meant? That meant that you were throwing them at the defender because they're again they're not contesting jumps all over the place. They're not contesting, you know, all these different um they're not contesting all of these different catches. They're just playing football. They're just there's the balls in their chest, they're gonna pick it, uh, but they're not looking to make rip the ball out of people's hands, or anything like that, because it's asking for injury in June. Uh in many camps not the way to go. There's nothing special about Tua His height is below average His arm strength is average at best His accuracy is probably the entry point To the NFL Which update being really accurate Playing quarterback in the NFL should be the entry point Um He's not especially mobile Probably average athleticism for the quarterback position Um He was yanked multiple times last year The only quarterback to get pulled around like that Um for ryan fitzpatrick who saved a couple of the games which is never a good time for a young quarterback um and again this is coming off a year-long campaign where all we heard from multiple teams including the dolphins was and i quote tank for tua sounds like suck for luck tank for tua not even sure what trevor's was it was just you know it's kind of like and then you have a situation you're in now where you get a report where it's five interceptions in a practice I'm pretty sure it's practice squad guys you give them first team you give them the second team against the first team and they wouldn't throw five interceptions in a practice Um, it's just not great for Tua especially considering that he's in a division uh, with Sean McDermott as the Bills head coach, Bill and Bill Belichick as the uh, Patriots head coach, and Robert Sala as the Jets head coach, three defensive wizards are all in his division. And you're throwing five interceptions at practice, where the defense is probably going 80% speed, or rather 80% intensity. Not necessarily speed, but 80% intensity in terms of, like I said, they're not getting overly physical with receivers, especially at the point of, especially at the point of high jumping a football and getting physical because it's not worth the injury risk right now. A so go up, jump. Uh, but don't necessarily rip the ball kind of thing, you know, stuff where you can throw the receiver off balance, etc. you are just trying to avoid injuries this time of year and come out clean. Speaking of the New England Patriots in that division, obviously the um, New England Patriots are in a quarterback situation with Cam Newton and Mac Jones. Reports have been up and down on both of them. Uh, we all seems the only video we ever get is Cam Newton missing. Uh, but I don't know if that's a narrative being painted because when we get type reports the reports are, yeah, Cam Newton went 17-21 to 21 today, Mac Jones went 10-21 to 21 today kind of thing, you know, so we're getting video of Cam missing and drills but then when apparently they get to open competition real live game action uh, or game simulated action, we're getting Cam Newton kicking Mac Jones' butt um, so that being said, you know, it's a lot of narrative out there, it's a lot of uh I, I won't I won't go underlying racism. I won't. Um, but it is interesting that the African-American quarterback is being portrayed one way, even though we're getting stats that show something else. And the Caucasian one is being portrayed another way, even though again we're getting stats that say something else. All in all, it's June. Reports don't necessarily matter. Um, it's not, you know, the third preseason week and we're getting up and down reports. Then that's a little concerning. It's June. Um, I expect Cam Newton to be the Week One starter. Bill Belichick pretty much said it as much that Cam Newton's going to be the Week One starter. Um, so don't expect anything else than that. Um, well, he's okay. He said Cam was our starting quarterback, and that Mac Jones would have to outplay him to take his job. Now, I won't ever say that it, this decision was made for Belichick. I feel like Belichick would retire before he let Kraft make decisions. Um, but if you spend a first-run pick on a quarterback, you want him to play. That's just being honest. And so you re-sign Cam before you even went through the draft process for a quarterback. It's just interesting. I mean, I'm not, again, I don't want to even throw that conspiracy theory out there that Kraft may have picked the quarterback for Belichick um, and that he won the next time Brady Kraft did and Belichick was forced to take him. I'm not going to go that far. But like, if he did say that Cam will have to be outplayed in order to not be the starting quarterback, which I assume means Cam gets the Week One start, because you won't see any real game action until Week One to base it off of uh, of Cam being Cam playing bad and then Mac playing well in practice, Mac gets the job kind of thing. Um, apparently their relationship is good. Uh, Cam Newton apparently has nickname Mac Jones, Mac and Cheese. Uh, little rookie hazing there. It's kind of funny. Um, But their relationship is good, they speak very highly of each other We're getting good video on both Uh, If you search for it, you can find it on Twitter Good video on both, good stats on both And so, uh, good at competition there Uh, Again, I would lean Cam Newton there Pretty strongly, I would lean Cam Newton The Bears, however, find themselves in a quandary Because apparently Justin Fields is ripping up Minicamp That's a problem Because when you sign Andy Dalton (laughs) You put on Twitter QB1. Then you draft your actual QB1 and Justin Fields. Then you respond with, oh, Justin Fields is tearing up in practice. Minicamp. Reporters are saying, oh, Justin Fields is killing it. Like, he is you, we've got it. Chicago, I mean, the fans the reporter, Chicago are basically saying, Chicago, for the first time since Sid Luckman, we may have a franchise, franchise quarterback. Not like Franchise quarterbacks, or they kind of made franchise quarterbacks like Jake Cutler or Rex Grossman. You know, Cutler, I think Cutler was a franchise guy, not necessarily Rex Grossman, but I think Cutler was a franchise guy. But they're saying for the first time since City Luckman, we can have an elite quarterback. He's tearing it up. And then you're the coach. Double downs on. We made promise to Andy Dalton when he came here. He's gonna be the Week One starter. Uh-huh. Yeah, that uh. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, why double down on this point? And like I got, like I said a minute ago when I was talking about Cam and Mac, it, it's June. Why why are you doubling down on your starting quarterback in a quarterback competition? Sean Payton has it. Sean Payton has not with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill. Hell, Bill Belichick technically hasn't with uh, Cam Newton and Mac Jones. He said Cam is the starter are starting. Kyle Cam does all the drills first, but he does not say who's guarding week one. Trey Lance and Jim Agarapolo haven't heard a peep. The Green Bay Packers don't know who the hell's playing quarterback for them. Even though Jordan Love apparently is looking good. Do you these teams with open competitions are fairly under-tied quarterback positions? Nothing. Not a peep. No words. And up in Chicago, it's damn comedy club. They have figured out a way to Talk about everything. It's just everybody's talking. It's it's leaks everywhere. I mean it's not even leaks. Matt Nagy's coming to the podium telling you, Oh yeah, don't started. We made promises to him. We're gonna stick to those promises, and that's gonna be our starting quarterback. Why? It's June. you gonna look like a doofus if he goes out and plays bad in week one, plays bad in week two, now you're oh two, and I now you're down two games already. You probably may have won if they're close, because you you know you lose them 17-14 or something like that. Justin Fields might have twenty-one. You win the game. Instead, you look like a doofus because you promised Andy Dalton he gets to start. I don't know. Yeah, Chicago. Yeah, every time I'm moving, they i moving the team out of Soldier Field, all kind of stuff's happening in Chicago right now. They need to get their act together. Stop doubling down on had naming a week one starter when a quarterback competition that isn't the rookie. Please stop doing that activity um and just give yourself a chance in the PR world because if you like I said if you end up don't starting the kid you're gonna get crushed if you end up Andy Dalton and or don't start Andy Dalton and going with Justin Fields you're gonna get crushed by media saying well you promised Andy Dalton this and da da you said this or if you stick with Andy Dalton you keep doubling down doubling down doubling down stick with Andy Dalton Andy Dalton sucks you look like a doofus and now the media's crush you and calling him for your job Give a lose-lose. Just be quiet. Say it's a competition. The better player will play. The guy who feel more prepared to play. I don't know. Coach speak it. Get a PR team. Something. But this is a horrible situation for the Chicago Bears to find themselves in. A little bit of running back news. Um, Le'Veon Bell made waves with his comments regarding that he'd rather retire than to go play for Andy Reid again. Um, He said he enjoyed KC. He said some of the best food he's ever had in his career He enjoyed the barbecue, he enjoyed the organization He enjoyed the team He wasn't a big fan of Andy Reid Le'Veon Bell was brought in Many expected him to be brought in as the bell cow Not necessarily get 300 touches Because A, the offense doesn't run the ball that much B, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was already there But in a situation where First down Is maybe Clyde and then second down is Le'Veon. Third down, depending on yard and distance, Le'Veon and Clyde. So he was expecting 40% of the reps, 45% of the reps. Uh, instead of 300 carries, maybe 200 carries. May, not really big yards per carry because of the situation he'd be in, but 200 carries, maybe a 800, 850 yards, five, six touchdowns. You know, be a big contributor to the team. Instead, he was effectively dog in the postseason. He... Fell off in the regular season. You can tell his attitude was bad on the sideline. You can tell he was told stuff he wasn't being delivered. Um, Clyde was alert. Kept running his head into the back of people's butts. And Le'Veon Bell still wasn't getting any touches. So I can get his point in terms of what I was told wasn't what happened. So I can get his point of being upset and not wanting to uh, deal with the situation. However... Andy Reid is one of the more well respected people in the league so saying that you would rather retire than to play for Andy Reid doesn't necessarily endear you to many people especially for a guy trying to get back into the NBA uh, NFL rather it's hard to not endear yourself to the people that really matter such as like I said Andy Reid or someone like that but that's what he decided to do uh, More power to him, he has freedom of speech He also has freedom of consequence And so we're going to see what happens If some team picks up Le'Veon Bell Do a training camp injury Or something like that Because he's, he, he's not with anybody in mini minicamp um, So we're going to see if somebody picks him up in training camp He could be a, pre, a preseason pickup Week one pickup, somebody gets hurt um, And so they bring Le'Veon Bell in And we're going to see what happens with that situation Speaking of running backs Todd Gurley also, he's trying to find a home. He's visited several teams, um, including, I believe, Baltimore was in that list, uh, and he has not found a home yet. Same situation. Minicamp rosters are done. They're in minicamp, and no one has picked him up, similar to Le'Veon Bell. So we could be looking at a situation where it's week one, it's preseason, running back goes down. Man, can Ty really be the person that fills that spot? Uh, especially like Rams for instance I don't think you ever go back to the Rams but or the 49ers for instance when that running back goes down in that zone style offense do they pick up the phone and call a Ty Gurley pick up the phone and call a Le'Veon Bell um, to come in and be the running back and ultimately be one of the bell cows they do running back by committee but they can get them 250 carries especially if you come in early enough and so that is something definitely to watch for the both of them um vaccine protocols are out for the NFL. A lot more lax. I won't go into much detail at all, but a lot more lax for vaccinated players. Obviously, further incentive to uh, get vaccinated, such as no testing for a vaccinated player, or at least no regular testing for a vac- player. A non vaccinated player has to get tested every day. Um restriction in terms of masks, social distancing, how many people can gather in a room, um, what a meeting is like, you know, stuff like that. Um is different with vaccinated and non-vaccinated players. They also have a team threshold of sandwich to the NBA, 85% of the roster, 80% of the roster in the NBA. In the NFL, it's 85% of the roster, and then the whole facility gets everyone gets lesser restrictions, less mass, less social distancing, more people in a meeting, less space needed, stuff like that. So that two teams have crossed the threshold of 85%, and um, so they're gonna enjoy the extra benefits. More normal than um, other teams, due to they're gonna need masks and social distancing, etc. Uh, one interesting story I've been looking at: Cameron Kinley, who's from the Military Academy, Naval Academy, actually, uh, is a free was a free agent pickup for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Now, why does that matter? That matters because the military, when you go to a military academy, you when you go, you basically go for free, and your payment is. You're going to Serve in the military So you're going to do A one two year Stint in the military That you owe the military academy And the U.S. government when you go to school um, At the naval Academies, West Point Air Force Your deal uh, When you sign To go to one of those schools, enter the academy Is that you will leave As a um, You will leave as a general or not a general you leave um high it won't be on entry level you will leave cuz you have a college degree you'll be higher you'll leave you'll leave with some ranking you'll leave with some pay and but you'll have to serve 2 years so if you serve once you serve 2 years though you can walk away from the military you served your country you have given back to your country etc however there are exceptions you can apply for one of the things you can apply for is if you become a professional athlete you can apply to have your service either postponed or waived entirely um, to pursue an athletic career one of the things so it's usually fairly fairly easy thing uh, there was a quarterback a few years ago, can't think of his name at Navy um, he went to the NFL, I think he's still in the NFL actually um, and they approved him, pushed it back and there's a couple of other guys that's been approved, a couple of the guys I'm about to talk about in a minute Cameron Kenley's teammates from Navy have had their service Push back, approved. Um, but his was denied. And so wondering why his was denied. Um, it's an interesting story. I I don't know why you would deny it. There's no benefit. I mean, he was a free agent pickup, he's probably not gonna make the team. He doesn't make the team, he goes serve in the military for two years. I don't know the problem is in the situation, um, but he's trying to figure that out as well. His story is caught national fire. Uh, with why just him? Basically, it feels like nobody else that ever applies really ever get. I, I mean, I don't remember a story, especially in recent memory, of someone applying to have their um, their service time pushed back to pursue prof- professional sports career ever being denied. So I wonder what's different about Mr. Kinley uh, that we don't know yet, or that we may never know. And I wonder if they ever give an explanation. It's kind of jacked up, in all honesty. The fact that he's not able to enjoy the privileges that the other people have in his similar situation have all done. So I'm very interested to see what that is about. And then the last thing I'm talk about is, I'm going to call it Dreaming of Denver. Which has been, you know, reportedly we've got Deshaun Watson talking about he only wants to go to Denver. You know, um can't think of it. It wasn't the key to the, Kareem Jackson, I believe, was the name. When it not matter about him either. But a teammate, a friend of Deshaun Watson, former NFL player has said on the Keep to Leach podcast, uh, Catching Fades, that Deshaun Watson has told him that he's allowed to tell people that he wants to go to Denver. So this is the first time we've ever got a list or a name or anything about what Deshaun Watson wants to go. It's the Denver Broncos. Now, conveniently, this is the same location that Aaron Rodgers reportedly uh, has told people that he wants to go to Denver. Um, because when Mark Schlereth, uh, who was... Former Denver Bronco lineman, very popular, has his own radio uh, show out there, broadcast Denver games, etc. Said that he's hearing that Denver was trying to put a package together for Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers DM'd him saying, "Where did you hear this? Who told you this? How true is this?" Um, because it had, been already, it had already been reported that. Um, Aaron was interested in Denver, and so then Mark Schleff was saying he was hearing from inside the building that the GM, uh, Padden from George Padden from the Minnesota Vikings, he was of, of the Vikings, um, he was hearing that they were putting a package together and kicking the tires on the Aaron Rodgers trade. Like I say Aaron Rodgers DM Mark Schleff like how true is this? Who are you hearing this from? And so that's two of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL. Both are saying they want to get to Denver, which resides in the division with the best quarterback in the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, and probably the best young quarterback in his first three years in the NFL, Justin Herbert. So it is very interesting to see that no one's afraid of that division. Um, Reportedly, Tom Brady was interested in the Chargers, which is in Patrick Mahomes' division. Um, so it shows that a lot of teams are thinking Denver plus, or a lot of good quarterbacks are thinking Denver plus themselves, uh, Denver plus Deshaun Watson, Denver plus Aaron Rodgers could knock off Patrick Mahomes or get in the playoffs and take him out in the playoffs, especially with that mile high air, especially with the physical advantages you will have. But the air is thinner, ball travels farther. So, very interesting that those two guys, both Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson have expressed interest through friends or through media personalities in in denver rather but up next we are going to shift to major league baseball and talk about what's going down there Hey guys, and we are back, and now we're going to talk about some Major League Baseball, and like always, we're going to jump right into the standings as if they were ending today, playoff seating style situation. So in the AL, we have the Chicago White Sox, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Oakland A's would be the division winners, and then the wildcard teams would be the Boston Red Sox, the Houston Astros, and the Cleveland Indians. In the National League, we have the San Francisco Giants, the New York Mets, and the Chicago Cubs as your division winners, with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the San Diego Padres as your wild card teams. And now, of course, over these past few games, or past week or so, the foreign substance thing has become huge in baseball. So pitchers use different things for grip on the ball, the hands get sweaty. The ball gets wet, you no know, damp or something like that. It's hard to grip the baseball. So um, they use foreign substances. You know, they use some kind of grip thing or they use resin or they use, you know, some something along the lines of grip to grip the ball better so they can throw it, control it better. It doesn't fall out of their hands. Because I don't know if you've seen a baseball. It uh, necessarily doesn't have grip on it. So uh, using a foreign substance such as uh, resin or any of uh, some kind of spray or something just to get a better grip on the ball is paramount usually to a pitcher's success due to throwing curveballs balls and sliders and slurs and all the other stuff. You know and all the other breaking balls that really confuse hitters. You, I mean, you can throw a fast ball without a great grip, you just fire it in there but it's hard to get those other pitches. But anyway, so Major League Baseball decided to ban foreign substances. Because consequently, pitches getting smacked all over the yard. This was a clear sign that the MLB wanted more hitting, wanted more runs, and so instead of changing rules that you know could affect how the game looks, they simply took away foreign substances. Where Garrett Cole, who was having a great year for the Yankees, got smacked up. Um, to the point of him asking that the mlb bring foreign substances back and he's not the only pitcher to request they bring it back because when you grow up pitching a certain way and you grow up you know with a certain system with a certain kind of thing it's hard to suddenly say you know i'm gonna have that especially mid season they had no practice time with it they just pitched one game foreign substance was allowed Pitched next game no foreign substances i have to learn how to pitch a baseball again basically and so i'm completely i'm completely with uh, Gary Cole let them bring foreign substances back obviously have certain substances but like resin you've been using forever and so why change it now um, I don't like that move at all in Major League Baseball it's clearly a move to bring in more money based on more runs because if that if that curveball doesn't drop or that sinker doesn't sink and now it's a slow fastball it's going to be a smack out of the park and so it's clearly designed to bring in more runs have more scoring and therefore consequently um, have more viewership on the game because and i quote chick digs the long ball um has been a popular phrase in baseball for a, quite a long time and, it, and then the ratings reflect that the more runs you have the higher scoring you have there's a there's a point where the scoring elevates to a tremendous level actually the viewership um, so clearly this is a move for that uh the diamondbacks i uh, had to touch on this this is oddly strange have lost 23 straight road games uh setting the major league baseball record um, for abomination and abysmal play uh they've lost 23 straight road games i could not let that exist and i talk about it that is horrible arizona uh get your act together 23 straight road losses now think about it, you play three games a series, often, anywhere from two to four games a series, on average about three, games a series on these road trips. So they've lost, they've been swept probably eight consecutive road trips. That's bad. That's really, really, really bad. No, they get their act together. You, I mean, you can even have a, a lucky game where you smack a grand slam by accident or something like, you know they, they they're playing absolutely horribly. Um I again I cannot let that pass. 23 straight road losses without a win. Uh MLB record. And speaking of MLB record, Jake DeGrom is having probably the greatest season of all time pitching the ball. I wonder how he'll adjust to the no stick uh, foreign substance because he hasn't pitched due to uh, shoulder tightness since the foreign substance was banned. So I wonder how he's going to pitch but currently, his ERA for the season is 0.96, which is an all-time low. His WHIP is 0.53, which is an all-time low. His his batting average given up is 121, You guessed it, an all-time low. And currently, he has batted in five RPIs and only allowed four earned runs, which he uh, is a, the only he's only pitcher in the first ten starts of a season to have more RBIs than earned runs given up. Um, he's absolutely insane right now. He is the best pitcher in baseball. It's not relatively close. Jake DeGrom is going crazy right now. Um, he's dealing with some shoulder tightness. Uh, so even in that game, he had eight perfect, ending, eight perfect innings going. He was unhittable in that game and, like I said, left due to shoulder tightness. Um, they're going to take their time with them. The Mets are in first place of their division. So they're going to take their time with them, make sure he's healthy uh, before bringing him back in to hopefully continue his historic run because it is spectacular to witness. But up next, we're gonna talk about, we're gonna shift to our best for last actually, and talk about historic happenings currently in the UFC. Alrighty guys, welcome into best for last, which I'm gonna take a minute First, I'm going to talk about I'm going to talk about the UFC in general. But first, I want to take a time to congratulate Izzy. Um, I'm not even going to try and pronounce your last name Adesanya, uh, Is- Israel Adesanya, um, at winning, retaining his middleweight belt for his ninth or tenth consecutive defense, adding another stone into his UFC belt, um, which will be, and he's a, he's a, he's trying to complete the stones. Um, every defense you have in the UFC, they place a stone in the belt, um, in your belt. So if you lose, so if you win, you lose your, um, you lose the belt, but I think they give you that belt back and they make a new belt so the new champ can start putting his stones in the belt. Um, but Izzy currently has nine or 10 stones in his belt from all his title defenses, and he keeps the, histo- the history that I wanna talk about or the unprecedented, that I wanna, the unprecedented to the events I wanna talk about intact. Um, UFC currently has 3 champions that were born in Africa uh, true African champions um, Israel Adesanya at, uh, at middleweight 185 Kamar Usman um, at 170 and Francis Ngannou at heavyweight um, Usman is a, a middleweight fighter but at heavyweight uh, or he's a lightweight fighter sorry he's a lightweight fighter and Francis, Francis Ngannou the baddest man on the planet is um at heavyweight with a belt two of them are from nigeria one of them from cameroon um but it's crazy because i saw a stat and I, I was trying to find it again so i can have the exact quote but there's something like um 300 ufc fighters currently on roster 30 of them are african and three of those host have belts have titles um there's a crazy thing to even think about you know. They're, they make up ten percent of the UFC, and yet they have half of the UFC's belts, or one third of the UFC's belts, and I make up ten percent of the UFC—a little less than uh, ten percent of the UFC total—and yet they have three of the belts. Absolutely unprecedented. Um, they're all friends. Shocker, you know. two of them from the same country—Nigeria. Uh, like I said, the other ones from Cameroon. Francis is from Cameroon. Is from Cameroon. Um, I'm gonna say they're all friends. They all trained together. Usman and um, Ngano are really close friends. They they, they train in the same gym. Usman was at Ngano's when he won his when uh, he won his belt. He was in his corner, Ngano was in Usman's corner when he knocked out Masvidal. So they um, they are really close friends. Uh, Izzy always talks about how close the trios friendships are. They always train with each other, trying to get moves from each other, um, stuff like that. training each other's gyms, etc and so it's just really cool to see it's like I say, incredibly historic three African champions it's never happened in the, in the history of UFC no other fight promotion can boast one no major fight promotion can boast one African champion UFC has three and it's not a situation like WWE as much I love a WWE where it's scripted the champion is predetermined you know like what's gonna happen is what's gonna happen um there's no scripting in UFC you, you get your head knocked off you get your head knocked off um so it's it's amazing to see three African champions, something I'm sure may, may never happen again. Um and I hope they keep all their belts for a while. Uh even though Ngannou's gonna have some stiff competition with Derek Johnson, uh his name I can't Black Beast and John Jones is a heavyweight now as well. Uh, so who knows what's gonna happen. But it's incredibly historic. I had to speak about it, especially coming off Izzy's uh last retain dominant fashion of unanimous decision victory to keep his 185 pound lightweight, light heavyweight belt and uh Usman hasn't fought since all and Gano hasn't fought since he won his belt so I wanted to talk about it while it was still happening but that is all we have for today, I hope you guys enjoyed it we had breaking news on the show. I always, I always talk about how I'm breaking news, and then there's never ever breaking news on the show. I can't, you can't get guy, you guys to get my immediate reactions. It's either breaks before I record, it breaks after I record, so all you get it's my Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, but you know, I always talk about how it, at J Town Sports, Twitter and IG, um, I'm always breaking. I'm breaking news. I'm reporting when I get it. Um, I'm better than Bleach Report. And put that out there. Uh, but I'm. Uh, I'm always reporting when I get it or I'm breaking it Myself so again follow At jtime sports on Twitter and IG Subscribe like and comment on the Podcast Justin time sports of course you're listening To it um, tell your friends about Us on or tell your friends about me Rather on iTunes Spotify And Apple Podcasts. I hope you guys have a Great rest of your Friday happy Juneteenth And I hope you guys have a great Rest of your like I said your Friday uh, this is Your host Justin Jackson signing out